Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Vox Media is looking for a principal designer for their platform group, and you can work out of their NYC or DC offices as well as remotely. Also starting this month, we've included job postings from Indeed.com for full-time positions across a number of different titles. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just have two quick things I want to mention. First of all, I want to thank all of you for voting for Revision Path and the Creative Market Awards for Most Inspiring Design Podcast. And guess what? We won! So I want to thank, of course, all of my fellow nominees in the category. It was up against a really stiff competition. Uh, big thanks to Creative Market, to RJ Basilio, of course, who does his magic on editing these episodes, uh, Music Man Dre and Yellow Speaker for the music, all the guests, and of course, to you for listening and for voting. It really is truly an honor to know that the hard work is being recognized, and so it's only pushing me to do even more, so that was just such a blessing to learn about uh, just this past Friday. So, uh, Second thing I wanted to announce, uh, because it's the end of the year, both RJ and I are going to be taking a well-deserved break from Revision Path for a few weeks. Now, on your end, on the listening end, you're probably not even going to know that we're gone because we're still going to have episodes coming out this week and next week. So there'll be an episode on December 24th on Christmas Eve. There'll be an episode on December 28th. And there'll be an episode on December 31st. Episodes will resume their regular weekly schedule of every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern starting on January 4th. And that's when we'll both kind of be back in the saddle and ready to really sort of do this for 2016. All right, so now that we've got that out the way, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Then check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code SPREADLOVE and save 10% off your purchase. Alright, here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. Right now we are at 28 patrons for a combined total of $178 per month. A huge thanks, of course, to all of you who have already pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. It really means a lot. Uh, if you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, and free Revision Path swag, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make it happen. Pledge levels will start at just $1 per month, so they're really affordable. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with Rachel Harsley. Rachel is a PhD student at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and she's studying computer science. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. 
I'm Reese. Thank you so much for inviting me to do the podcast with you. My name is Rachel Harsley, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And in my spare time, believe it or not, I've founded a company called Maychild Technologies, and we focus on web design and brand packaging for small businesses. And recently, we've released our first application on iOS. Talk about that app. What's it called? It's called Clean Slate Messenger. Now, Maurice, I'm just super excited about launching this app. I've been working as a sole developer. The purpose of the app is to give people more control over their digital life. So what that means practically, it's a messaging application, but it distinguishes itself from other messaging apps because one, you're able to delete sent messages and sent pictures. And two, you're able to see what your friends are typing to you without them ever pressing the send button. So uh, it's very unique within the messaging app space. That sounds almost like some secret agent type of thing. (laughs) You can see what they're typing before they send it to you? You can see exactly what they're typing. So that started a little bit just from my impatience. Most of the messaging apps now, there's some kind of indicator, a little bubbles or a typing indicator where you can see that someone is typing something. You just don't know what it is. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, let's get rid of that. Let's just see exactly what's being typed. Uh, sort of analogous to me and you talking right now, we have this space in our brains where we're able to think and process ahead, but there's no 30-minute delay between getting a text and writing something back while you think about what to say, you know. What's been the feedback so far about the app? It's been very, very positive so far. So I initially did the beta a month in, in advance of the release with about 70 beta testers, and that group grew initially from about 10 of my friends, but people kept on reaching out and asking could they add friends of their own. So the beta test piloted and we received very positive feedback and we just launched in the app store a week ago. So since then we're over 200 downloads and representing about five countries right now. So just looking forward to promoting the word even more. I think the main thing is when people try it, they're like, wow, this is messaging in a unique way that that I'm also very comfortable with. So it's been really positive feedback. Nice. Yeah, we'll have to link to that in the show notes. Do you think you'll end up sort of bringing it to other platforms, bringing it to Android or something like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm an Android girl myself. I use my iPhone just for development primarily. Uh, and I would love to bring it to Android. And based off the success of this iPhone version, then we're going to go ahead and move it to Android. But of course, I would want to have some more developers alongside me to make that route a little bit easier. All right. So, yeah, if there are any Android developers that are listening, definitely get in touch with Rachel. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> so you're getting your Ph.D. from the University of Chicago. You said how's that going so far? University of Illinois at Chicago. University of Illinois at Chicago. Yeah, let me make sure I don't get... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I don't want anybody calling me out. You're not at UC, so yes, UIC. Uh, UIC. Right down the street from each other, but, you know, we're both the Chicago schools. And I've been working on my PhD since uh, 2011. I graduated from Vanderbilt University with my bachelor's, and then I went ahead and did direct admission to the PhD program here in computer science. And now some of the work that you're doing at UIC is part of the natural language processing group. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. 
for the natural language processing group, you can think of it. I, I, I guess I like to explain it to most people. It's like what drives Siri It's that uh, trying to understand what humans mean in our natural language and representing that for a computer. So there's that understanding part, but then there's also the language generation part. So once Siri thinks she knows what you said and what you mean, she still has to come up with something to say back to you. And it's something that we sort of have taken for granted as consumers, but there's a lot of hard science that goes into it. So the work that I do with the natural language processing group is not Siri, but it's for another purpose. It's for educational technology. And what I've been working on is called an intelligent tutoring system. And it, it sounds just like what the name would suggest. It's students working with the computer and instead of having a human tutor help them to learn a subject, in this case, computer science, it's this computer tutoring system that tries to make sense of what the student is programming and give them relevant feedback. I feel like we're starting to see some of that kind of uh, technology in, in some of these like learning language games and things like that. Like I'm thinking uh, particularly of Duolingo, yes. where you sort of have like the flashcard thing, then there's mm -hmm. stuff you type in, but there's also stuff that you speak to the app uh -huh. and they sort of try to listen and analyze and correct you. Yeah. Na natural language processing is huge. And and believe it or not, it's just going to get even bigger because just in computing as a whole, we can see the focus is shifting so that computers are more like me and you talking, you know, and that's sort of the motivation behind the messaging app. But in general, we don't want the computer to be some weird object where you have to speak differently to, but where it's more intuitive so the computer can communicate with you in your natural language. So Duolingo is an excellent example. And part of that, their success is in using the crowdsourcing. So you're not only taking the knowledge of what you've learned from the computer standpoint, but all these other users who were able to tag uh, what's being said as well. Now, before starting at UIC on your PhD program, you said that you graduated from Vanderbilt University, and that's in Nashville, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Right? Nashville, country music. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you got your degree there in computer science. Yeah, that's exactly right. What was that environment like? Do you feel like Vanderbilt kind of really prepped you? for work, uh, doing your, your studies at UIC? I absolutely love my time at Vanderbilt, Maurice. But the crazy thing is, was I w did not want to go to Vanderbilt initially. I really did not. So I, I'm from St. Louis originally, and Nashville's not too far down the road, about four-hour drive. So my parents felt really comfortable, you know, me going that distance. That's that distance where you're far enough, but yet they can go check on you whenever. So mm -hmm. my parents were suggesting that I should look at Vanderbilt. It's a great school and blah, blah, blah. But all in my mind, all I could imagine is just line dancers and country music. And I, <laughs> I wasn't into that. So I was like, I don't I don't know about that school. But I ended up going on a tour. The campus in itself is just beautiful. And I really like their desire to invest into black students. And their National Society of Black Engineers chapter was very appealing to me. So I, I made the choice to go there. Uh, and, and it was an excellent choice. It definitely prepared me for my future career successes and even the academic rigor at UIC. What were some of the things that you were studying at Vanderbilt? At Vanderbilt, the beauty of it is that they want you to have that liberal arts education. So I was getting the the technical expertise in terms of taking my computer science curriculum, but I also enjoy 
being able to learn from the best and brightest in other fields. So I remember taking a few sociology classes that were just eye opening. I think my favorite was a deviant behavior was the name of the class and it was taught by Dr. Roosevelt Noble and in that course we had all kinds of fun explorations of what it means to be deviant in terms of societal norms and I'll tell you one project that we worked on it was a group project we were challenged to do a deviant behavior record how people are uh, responding to this behavior and sort of analyze why we think that's the response. Now, of course, we couldn't do anything illegal, but there were still so many ranges of deviant behavior that was not necessarily accepted by the society. So my group, we decided to ladies use the male restroom and males to use the female restroom and try to record mentally how people were reacting and then of course getting some post interviews as a lot of people sort of like immediately left out the bathroom to try to understand what was going on so uh, those type of experiences just being in that liberal arts environment helped me to be a, a better computer scientist because I'm learning about team skills I'm learning about culture and and you know it's definitely been able to Im- influence my work in a positive way to this point. Now, one thing that I saw when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile is that you have sort of interned and made the rounds at a lot of really big companies, AT&T, Intel, GE, and now Google. What has working at big places like that taught you in terms of the work that you do right now um, at UIC? I laugh because my most recent boss at Google, he calls me a professional intern. (laughs) So (laughs) I think he's right in the sense now I've had, I don't know how many summers where you want to get away from school for a little bit and make some money and internships are a great way to do that. So I think the first thing that, that the internship taught me is that being a developer, you're not alone. Like you're not the lone ranger developer. When you're walking into these big companies, the first thing you have is a huge repository of code. And I think that's such a distinction from how most students are taught in in computer science schools now, where our standard curriculum is you do a project and at most you might work with three other people. And you guys definitely aren't working on some code that was submitted by students before. You're just starting fresh. So So for me, just that experience of jumping into repositories that are literally millions of lines and trying to make a contribution to that on top of first getting an understanding of what's going on, that was huge. That was a huge hurdle and something that has enabled me to be a better programmer now to this point. So when I do come into a three-month internship, I'm able to really make some significant contributions in that short amount of time. So just the coding aspect of it, I would say the uh, the other primary lesson that I learned that sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with that is that ability to work with a team and to really gather from the expertise of these other people that are on your team. So for me as an intern and now as a professional intern, I have some experience that I can bring to the table. And I've realized that these people that I'm working with, especially at Google, they're the best of the best. And there's so much that I can gain from them. And a lot of times people want to share with you. They want to be a part of your success. If you're working with the right team, they, they want to help you be successful. And you could just learn so much from other people, not being a bother, but just sort of growing together and really understanding that's what teams are about. I feel like internships, though, can sometimes get 
sort of a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is in other industries, not so much in the tech industry, because I mean, I've worked, I've interned at a few places myself. And some of the things that you mentioned are pretty true. That ability to work with a team is really good and to know that you're not alone. And I think it's also good, I think, you know, again, for tech companies, that the work that they're giving you is actually real work. Mm-hmm. And it's not grunt work. You know, right. it's not, oh, we've got interns coming in. Let's give them this little <laughs> simple project. Like you're actually doing work that is impacting the work that's going on in the company. Yeah. And I would encourage people who are looking at for internships to make sure that's the case, because as you mentioned, certainly I know that grunt work has sort of been the MO for other industries, but even in tech, uh, I've come to the point after a few internships to make sure that I'm interviewing the company as well to try to understand, do you really have plans for me or is this just something that you all do? You have it internship program. So uh, I think that's a a big part because you wanted to add to your experience and there's nothing worse than just stacking some papers and putting a paper clip on it and saying that's the end of your eight hour shift every day. So uh, it's very important to have a project that you you will make a meaningful impact with. And and it actually gets to the point where if, if you're making some significant contributions, like I mentioned, the management is just absolutely thrilled because they feel like, you know, interns do get paid less. So they feel like they're paying less for just as much work. And who doesn't like a good bargain? <laughs> <laughs> And like you say, you're interviewing the company as well to see whether or not it's a good fit. Yeah, you have to. And speaking of that, I mean, the last place that you interned, didn't they extend an offer to you? Yes, they did. And that was such a great feeling because, you know, having the internship does not guarantee that you'll get that full time offer. So uh, once Google extended that offer to me, I was uh, extremely excited. I I love working for Google and I can't wait to return. Can you speak at all about, I guess, what you'll be doing at Google, or is that still a little far off? That's still quite far off. I'll tell you what I did in the past, because those are both awesome projects. So I I did intern consecutive summers at Google, and the first summer I was in their primary office, the headquarters in Mountain View, California, and I was working with with the machine intelligence uh, group, which is a really highly sought after group within Google. And I didn't realize that until I I had actually come on board, but we were working on some cool projects in, in terms of predicting what people's future actions will be. So, you know, when we go to YouTube, there's often suggestions that pop up. So my team was partly responsible for providing those suggestions. What do we think this person is going to be searching for next? And even more practically with the Google Now and other things that are highly predictive, my team was working on serving those things up. So this summer I, I shifted. I wanted to be in Chicago so I could keep working on my PhD and graduate Maurice, which is my ultimate goal. And this summer I was with the Google Chicago team and I was also doing machine learning for them. But a lot of the Chicago office focuses on ads, which is, you know, Google's bread and butter, making those ads work and convert people to buy things online. So part of my job was trying to predict which ad sites are going to be the most valuable for these potential ad buyers. So if you're ESPN and you're thinking about serving up a new ad, what sites should that ad be placed on and serving them those predictions based off what's been happening in the past. So, yeah, I'm not 
all the way positive or 100% on what my new project will be, but it will be in the Google Chicago office. And I, I know it's going to be awesome because I, I really enjoy working there. That's good. And I mean, congratulations to you. It's, it's such a, I mean, it's a blessing, first of all, but also it's just such a level of security to know that after you graduate, you have a job. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, this job market out here is ridiculous. And, and just to have that feeling that, yes, as soon as I graduate, I've got a paid gig. That's amazing. That's great. That's really great to hear. Yes, Maurice, it is. I'm super thankful. And thank you. Chicago is one of those cities that seems like it's starting to kind of stake its claim as it relates to technology. I know there, of course, there's the Google office there. There are, are big schools there like UIC. Yeah. There's Artists to the Chicago there's also, oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, there is, there's, I know there's an independent group, I think it's called like Black Tech Mecca or something yeah, like that, but Black it's out of Tech Chicago definitely. with, with uh, Fabian Elliott, who also works for Google, actually. He works exactly. in the advertising department. Fabian, he was a great connection for me and helping me to be comfortable in, in Google Chicago and get to know the people around the office. Uh, Google has something really amazing, the Black Googlers Network, and Fabian was helping to lead that initiative because it can be, um, as you know, a little bit lonely out in the tech space in terms of being a minority. So uh, Fabian is leading that awesome effort in Black Tech Mecca in Chicago, and I think it's really going to be a huge change for the city, trying to change the image of the city from these negative portrayals to having it be a hub and a, a real ecosystem for people of color and minorities to, to come and be connected and be successful in technology. So, yeah, the Google is here and other companies, Uber has an office here and even smaller stakes out and, and bigger companies like Microsoft have small presence here. But there's so much opportunity, even with startups here, that it's untapped. And like you said, that, that mix of schools with money, Chicago is definitely old money, though it's definitely been focused in the financial sector, but schools and money and and this desire to innovate they're all three here in chicago so there's no reason why we couldn't be the next tech hub like black tech makers trying to uh, push for absolutely yeah and tell fabian i said what's up the next time you speak to him <laughs> we'll do we'll do <laughs> what is the tech scene like i guess for you in chicago because you're a student what is it like for you in terms of opportunities and events and things like that yeah, so it's really interesting as a student because you have this mix of trying to just balance your student life with me trying to launch out as entrepreneur as well. So uh, the tech space, I would say, is, is great because I'm around so many people who don't have a full-time job. And, me, and I should say our full-time job is to be students. So with that, mm -hmm. we have a lot of free time to code and explore. And I'm really excited because I have people who are interested in working with me and doing website design or even on the app end of things. But knowing that they have that time to invest without necessarily worrying about the constraints of, you know, a family and other things that are typical to someone who's working a full-time job. So there's lots of initiatives here. Almost You can find just almost every day of the week a different pitch night that's happening or a different hackathon that's happening all across the city. So it's a great place to be for people who are students and entrepreneurs. Yeah, I tell students all the time, like, this is the best time for you right now in this industry because you've got 
more opportunities than before. There's more information out there. And I feel like definitely it's the tide to start to turn where there are more people out there that are kind of willing to help you and share their knowledge with you as well. Yes, that's true. And these schools, you know, ours and and U Chicago, which you mentioned, they all have these innovation centers. And I think others go by different names. But the key of those centers is to help students begin their businesses. And especially if that technology is tied to something that you've done through the school. But in general, these schools are really interested in students being entrepreneurs and having the association of the university tied to their success. Mm hmm. Let's let's kind of bring this back a little bit. What really first got you excited about programming and computer science and everything? Oh, wow. This is a, a long road for me, Maurice. I remember when my family got their first computer and I was about six years old. And I had to wait patiently as my dad plugged in the different parts. And to me, it seemed like it was hours, but it probably was only like 20 minutes for him to plug in the monitor and stuff. But I was just <laughs> I was just waiting like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And they turned it on and and they said, you know, this is the mouse. And I was like, OK, it's not a mouse, but they keep calling it a mouse and they're moving around the mouse. And I could see this arrow move on the screen and. And at the time, there was a little introduction uh, video that played, and it seemed like the guy knew exactly what we were doing in the introduction video. He knew that we had just plugged in our computer, and I was just <laughs> <laughs> so amazed. So as a child, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is pretty cool. And for me, just use of the computer was ubiquitous after that point, like, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to some great public schools where they had invested in technology and computer use. So they wanted us as students to learn even at an early age, okay, this is uh, PowerPoint or whatever the technology was back then. So this is PowerPoint. This is how you make this animation. And this is the World Wide Web. So they would have us type www.weather.com and, and try to see, oh, my gosh, so something is happening on the other end. So after that point, I knew that there was a, a real passion for computing. But I think like many other underrepresented students or people whose families just aren't in technology, you don't really know what to do with that. So you're mm -hmm. basically stuck at being on the consumer level where you appreciate the technology or even sometimes in awe of it, but you don't really see yourself as a creator. So that continued for me up until high school around my junior year where I was really excelling academically in high school and especially in regards to my mathematics class. It was just coming as second nature for me, my mathematics class. It's very easy and just breezing through it. And my math teacher, he told me, he was like, have you considered this computer science class that we're now offering? And I was like, uh, no. But the truth is I really had read up on it in the curriculum guide for the school, and I thought it was pretty awesome. But in my mind, I was like, nah, it's mainly going to be some white guys, and they're nerdy, and, you know, that's not really my scene. So I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not too into that. But he was like, just give it a try. I think you'll be really good at it. And I like my teacher, and I end up registering for the course because I knew he'd be teaching it. And boy, Maurice, I cannot explain to you the thrill of programming. That is what got me. Like, we were just learning C++, and we had that terminal, you know, where you type some code, and then you press run. But for me, I mean, it was so empowering to know that I could write something on the computer 
and then just control what is being outputted back out. So my programs were simple at first, you know, like asking what's your name and the person typing their name and I print it back out and that'd be the end of the program. <laughs> or, but then it got even more complex of playing, you know, some simple card games. And I just really fell in love with being able to program. And I, and even though there weren't any other uh, minorities in the class or anything like that, it, to me, my joy, the joy that I got just in programming was able to surpass that sense of isolation for me. And just from that class alone, I decided that when I was applying for colleges, I'm going to tell people I'm going to study computer science. And that's how it all, that's how it all started for me. So going into Vanderbilt, I, I had applied directly to the computer science program. I knew that was what I was going to do. And it just turned out to keep getting better and better because then I learned GUIs. <laughs> Every aspect of it has been rewarding for me. Yeah, that joy aspect that you mentioned there for a lot of people that I've talked with here on the show that are are programmers, that's always been the spark. The minute that they started having fun with it, Uh that's when they realized, okay, this is something that I can do like for a career or something like that. Because, I mean, when you think about computers now – Versus how they were, let's say, back in the 80s or so, right? Uh-huh. You bring this box home and there's nothing on it. Mm-hmm. There's no software. I mean, there's an operating system, but basically you plug it in and it's a right. blank screen with a right. DOS prompt. You have to program the computer. You have to teach it what to do. Whereas now you get a computer and it's loaded with so much stuff <laughs> that it's almost sort of giving you everything that you need without that sense of joy and discovery. So for people that are getting into computing, you know, especially us, I'd say that are like in our 20s and 30s and things like that. When we learned about it as kids, it was that that really sense of joy that you could make the computer do what you wanted it to do. Yeah, from the jump, you know, like as soon as you turn it on, you could tell it, run this program, add these numbers, you know, output (laughs) this. Right. And, And now I don't know if it's really kind of that much the case. I feel like it is once you start getting into programming specifically but back in the day it felt like programming and personal computing were so intrinsically linked Uh whereas uh now they're sort of two discreetly different activities right you're absolutely right about that so one thing that i wanted to to talk about is mentorship because throughout your journey i'm sure you may have probably had people that you've looked up to Mm -hmm. or people that have kind of helped you out along the way who have some of those people been and how have they inspired your work Yeah, definitely. Mentorship is key to fight that feeling for me of isolation and feeling like I'm just in this on my own and it's very hard. But the first mentorship that occurred for me actually happened in a group setting. And it was a mentorship of peers, I would say, which might be different than what other people are used to. But when I first came to Vanderbilt, I absolutely loved the school. I thought that it afforded me great opportunities for my future, but it was also difficult. I was working with the best and brightest at being one of the top universities. And part of the time, I, those, that first semester or two, I really wanted to just say, okay, I'm going to just go back home because this is a little bit too difficult. I don't remember chemistry being this hard for me, and I certainly don't remember math 
being this hard for me because it was mm-hmm. so easy in high school. And what I was able to do was come in contact with the National Society of Black Engineers, that Vanderbilt chapter. Two of my closest friends, Doug Dobbins and Cameron Hill, they were a part of the, the NSBE program. And we were all recruited to join NSBE as freshman engineers and be a part of it. And I would say that was the most pivotal experience for me to continue in computing. Even though I loved the initial feeling of programming and all that, I, I think even though they weren't even computer scientists, just knowing that there were other black engineers who were uh, working just as hard at their goal to graduate and knowing that, you know, we could study together, even if it wasn't the same topic, just knowing that we could be working and pressing through the difficulties. I think that was the, the biggest layer of success for me with those peers who were going through at the same time. And even beyond that, the National Society of Black Engineers, they were able to help me And I know this feels like a commercial, but I'm so sincere in this. They were able to help me grow in my career aspirations from having uh, the mock career fairs to even the actual career fairs that happened at Nesby. There I made some key contacts with people who were able to groom me to work on my the way I was presenting myself in interviews, the way I was able to answer questions in interviews. Just all these kind of things that you might not necessarily get from your normal interaction with your family and other people that love you, but that mm-hmm. are very crucial for your future development. So that that career preparation was very crucial for me in terms of what Nesby provided. And then what I'll also add is it allowed me to be exposed to other things like the PhD. And I, I mentioned it in an article that I just wrote recently for people of color and technology. But Nesby, you know, we would have our chapter meetings and have different guest speakers. And, and one of the first guest speakers I remember is Dr. William Robinson. And he was a professor of electrical engineering, computer engineering at Vanderbilt. And they introduced him. He had walked into the room and I was just completely shocked, Maurice. Now I'll tell you why. It's because he was a black young man who had his PhD. Now for me, that like just completely blew my mind because I had never met a black person who had a PhD. Like Mm -hmm. it was something that I heard about, you know, sort of vaguely, but I had no idea what it was. Even me sitting there at Vanderbilt University, it was just like, oh my gosh, I could do this. And hearing him talk about his journey and his exposure and his desire to research and what he was currently doing, that opened up just a new channel in my mind of understanding. Understanding, I can go just as far as anybody else in my education and, and be successful like this man here who is also young and black. So those kind of experiences, they were facilitated through Nesby, but I would say they were really pivotal for me. Outside of Nesby, I've had some excellent guidance. My parents are, are wonderful. They're not technology people, but they are educated. And they were definitely set on me pursuing my education. And outside of that, I've really been involved in church and having that spiritual guidance of a pastor to help you make some of these uh, big decisions, even my Google decisions. That's been really pivotal for me as well. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit here because you you started going along the route of sort of talking about your parents and your family. It sounds like they were pretty supportive of you getting into programming. Is it, would that be the case? 
Oh, yeah. They're supportive. How could they not be? Like, I would literally go home after my C++ <laughs> class and be like, look what I made. And, you know, I don't think they were as impressed as me because it would be just like, what's your name, Rachel? Hello, Rachel. But still, they could see that I was excited about it. So they were like, you know, good job. They were wonderful. And my dad had always told me that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter what you do. Just know that you can do anything that you want. And the more education you get, I'm telling you that the more education that you get, the more likely you'll be able to do something that you want. So that's what stuck with me. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. I I study something that I like and then I can do it and get paid for it. So they have been extremely supportive, even though they didn't know anything about technology. They were okay with it. What keeps you motivated and inspired with everything that you're doing? Impact. I really want to impact others. While at home, meaning St. Louis, I actually just took some time off from the PhD program for one semester last year, and that enabled me to go home, spend some time with family. And one of the things that I made sure to do was give back to the young people in my area. And and by that, I was teaching them through the Christian education curriculum that we have. So it was on a weekly basis. But then I was also just inspiring them for higher education because that is just so important to me. And I realized that is one of the key things that's able to help people to move from wherever they are socioeconomically to the next range, that education. So I was working with a group of girls and being able to explain to them what I do. So, you know, I first told them, you know, I'm a computer scientist. And my guess what the reactions were, Maurice? They're like, so you work at Best Buy, your geek squad. <laughs> like, oh, no. I'm like, no, that's oh, not what no. a computer scientist is. So being able to enlighten them. But how else would they know unless I tell them or someone like me tells them? So right. just being able to inspire them to say, this is what a computer scientist actually does. You know, we're making and the programs that you're using all the time, whether it's your Twitter or Instagram, you know, we can be black, we can be female, and, and it's so rewarding. So I really enjoy inspiring other young people to to look at computer science careers. A lot of us are smart and we want careers that can give back, but normally that turns into I'm going to be a doctor uh, which I actually wanted to be a doctor at some point, or, you know, I'll run my own beauty shop and all those things are great, but they at least should have the opportunity to know about careers in computing. If you hadn't discovered program, is that what you think you would have went into? I wanted to be a doctor all, all the way up until I actually saw people bleeding in the hospital. And then I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're like okay, this is good. I'm good. <laughs> so, no, no, I don't think so. But, you know, believe it or not, the timing of it was such that I was just being introduced by my math teacher to this computer science curriculum. So I didn't really have much space in between leaving doctoring and then going right into computing. So I don't know what I would have been. Actually, I, I just would have been lost, Marie. <laughs> so when you look at your body of work, and I mean, it might not seem that way now, but I mean, when you look at your your internships and where you've worked and what you've learned, everything that you've accomplished so far, you've been published. I yes. saw that in my research. You have a patent. Yes, patent pending this for this Clean Slate Messenger app. Mm-hmm. Are you where you wanted to be at in this stage of your life? Like, do you feel like you're, I guess, creatively satisfied with the work that you've done so far? <laughs> I feel like I'm at a great 
place. And I owe 100% of it to God and my parents for helping me to get to this point. But I'm absolutely satisfied. I think me signing that offer with Google just a, a few weeks ago helped me to put everything in perspective because, like you said, so many have already completed their degrees and are still on the job market for whatever reasons. And, and it's it's extremely brutal. And for me to be able to have that offer in hand and also reflect on the launch of my app and these amazing experiences I've had over the years from academia and industry, I'm at a great place. I see much more ahead for myself, so I'm not necessarily satisfied in the sense that, you know, I'm just going to be done and that's the end of my career aspirations, et cetera. No, that's not the case, but I'm, I'm both grateful and looking forward to the future. What advice would you give to someone that's just kind of starting out in this industry? I mean, well, in a way, you kind of are just starting out in this industry. But <laughs> what advice would you give to someone that kind of wants to follow maybe in your footsteps? I think the first thing is understanding that success does not come overnight. So like you mentioned, uh, to date, I have a whole lot of wonderful things that have happened to me on paper But that hasn't been without plenty of downsides and rejections and companies saying, you know, not at this time. Even with Google, uh, I will share with you that initially when I applied for an internship, I did not get that offer. And, of course, that can be hurtful. You can wonder, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to work for them. They made a mistake. Or you can take that and say, okay, you know, me reaching back out to the recruiter, where can I improve so that next time I can have this offer? So Mm -hmm. understanding that even though we're in a microwave society and generation where everything is instant, some things are really worth fighting for and, and giving it that second attempt and understanding that it's making yourself better, even though it might take longer than you would expect or have it planned out in your mind. One line in your bio that I really like, actually, it's the very first line that got me. It says, Rachel is an innovator, a dreamer and a problem solver. So I have a three part question. <laughs> okay. What innovation do you want to be known for? What's your dream project? And what problem out there would you like to take a crack at solving? I think the innovation, I can only speak to date. Now, what I do is I I journal whenever I have a cool idea that I think will be worth pursuing at some point. So at this point, I have, you know, pages and pages literally of ideas that I think would be worth pursuing either for capital gains or just something that I'm interested in. And just that whole book is full of innovation. But for now, Clean Slate Messenger is is my latest peek at the innovation that I have. And it's just a testament to diversity in the marketplace. A lot of times diversity is underplayed. I understand that it's more than just skin color. But me being able to just approach messaging differently than what other people might sort of think is the standard. And I think that comes from a lot of my own experiences with messaging applications. So for now, Clean Slate Messenger is my latest peak at innovation. And what you said in terms of dreams, ask me one more time about the dreams, Maurice. Like, what's your dream project wow. that you would want to work on? Oh, wow. Dream project, I see myself really working in a machine learning for those who might not fully understand, it's just really training the computer to understand from past data and allowing it to make 
accurate predictions, just like we as humans learn from past and things that have happened, teaching the computer to do that same thing. So I, I see myself really applying machine learning uh, in cooler, more innovative ways. I've, I've heard of some awesome projects like with the company Google just acquired last year. They were using machine learning to train video games. <laughs> And it seems like a sort of maybe not the most efficient use of the technology. There's just so many avenues where the computers can learn and, and benefit and do things quicker than humans. So in this case, they were the machine learning train on these video games was beating levels way faster than we could ever do as humans. But it's because the computational power of the computer. So my dream is to do some innovative things with machine learning as well. And I think the last question you asked was which problem that I would like to solve. Yeah. My heart is really for education. I know I tried to convey that some with you with my desire to mentor this up-and-coming generation. So even my Ph.D. work, this intelligent tutoring system, it, it sort of just scratches the surface of my heart to educate people and doing it in an efficient manner. So right now our educational system in America and so many other places could just use a lot of help. Teachers do the best that they can in a lot of cases, but a lot of education just isn't personalized, and students are, are really suffering. I've gone into classrooms and spoke about what I do, but just sitting in those classrooms longer, I sort of, my heart goes out to those students. So I, I would like to improve the educational space, and I think a lot of that can be done with the use of technology. Where do you see yourself in the near future? Like, it's it's 2020. What's Rachel working on? What's Rachel doing? <laughs> 2020, first of all, I will have my PhD, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so glad. Dr. Rachel. What will Dr. Rachel be <laughs> no, doing? Uh, it's not, not in that sense, but I'll just be so glad that that <laughs> chapter of my life is complete. So with the PhD, I want to really have backers behind me who are willing to invest in my talent and at that point even a greater depth of experience to tackle one of these problems that I saw. You can see how there's sort of a, a linkage of what I said of being able to work on educational technology and using machine learning to back that technology and more so just shifting Maychild to be instead of just helping with web design and brand packaging which has been my staple up to this point but moving Maychild to be more of a a, a real solutions company in terms of educational technology and so many other avenues where I know I can make an impact. Well, Rachel, I mean, my goodness, there's so much that I've been able to learn just about you and about your work kind of through this interview. But just to kind of wrap everything up, where can our audience find out more about you online and follow you through your journey as you complete your PhD. I would love for everybody to follow me literally on Twitter. It's quite easy. It's Rachel Harsley on Twitter. And, and my website is just the same. It's rachelharsley.com. And if you want to check out this, this latest app that I've been referencing, Clean Slate Messenger, that is also at cleanslatemessenger.com those three ways you can definitely keep up with me and whenever something new happens i'll be sure to post it out on twitter as well well that sounds good rachel harsley thank you again so much for coming on the show thank you for really just telling your your story i mean i think that your story is just so inspiring of kind of getting the spark for computing and then really continuing to nurture that through your like you said your family your peers kind of helped you with that and then even to where you are now where you're doing this PhD work at UIC. This is 
is really amazing. I know that I'm going to hear more about you in the near future. So this is, is a real treat. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Maurice. Much appreciated from my end. Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Rachel Harsley. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Rachel and her work through the links in the show notes at provisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They've got great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code SPREADLOVE at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps get new listeners, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.